My name is Brandi Addison. I'm the Regional Agriculture and Environmental Reporter for the USA Today Network's West Texas region. And this is Weird West Texas, the podcast. Each month, we'll explore some of the most odd, eccentric, and sometimes just plain weird things in our region, from the state's northernmost town of Booker, down into the big country, westward to the Permian Basin, and all the way into the Rolling Plains. Today, I'm joined by my editor, Adam Young, who oversees the Lubbock Avalanche Journal and Amarillo Globe News. Adam, you ready to dive in? I am. It's okay. So far, this, I think my, my main takeaway from these is that all the comments that uh, you're uh, having me have to vet now because of this, this darn series. So thank you. Yeah, so I've had a lot of people say that they're excited to like keep reading though, right? Like, um, and we have a lot of new readers, new audience members. So I, lo- I love that we have, you know, a lot of people really engaging here um, with this. So over the last month, we've researched information about Will Rogers and Soapset's statue at Texas Tech, Cadillac Ranch, Texas Tech's tortilla toss tradition, and the out-out sheep. Um, so I already know that the out-out sheep was probably your favorite topic, just knowing who you are. Um, you were really excited to read it. So let's just go ahead and talk about that. Um, yeah. Well, well, I just wasn't familiar with that as a as a concept. I mean, uh, shame on me, but you know, I've been here in in Lubbock since uh, you know 2005 you know, when it came up to tech, and I was from Abilene originally, and that just wasn't something I'd heard about. But so I, I appreciated learning a little bit more about a topic that I wasn't somewhat familiar with, like I was with uh, the Will Rogers statue or the tortilla toss, which you added some nice context to. Um, it made it a little bit more succinct, but this was more of a learning experience for me. So, I mean, how did you uh, track all that information down? Yeah, so I actually got the idea because I'm in this Facebook group called Postcards from the Panhandle. And this woman posted a picture of a herd of sheep. I linked it in the story through her backyard in Amarillo, like not the canyons, just like in town of Amarillo. Um, and so I decided from there that I was going to look that up because I thought it was really interesting. I found some stuff from the Atlantic. Um, and there's also a website, I think, called Texas Panhandle Bird Nerd. I, I attempted to call a couple um, professors in the Natural Resources Department at Tech to no luck. Um, and also Texas Parks and Wildlife, but they they um, didn't have much to say about the out sheep. So a lot of it was just research, thorough research um, regarding invasive species and all that stuff. So, um, going in now, just to expand on that, if y'all didn't actually read the story, the Aldad sheep basically replaced the bighorn sheep, which are our native species in the panhandle, right? So, um, XGIs in the late 1940s um, brought them over because they thought they'd be a game species. Now, more than 75,000 roam North America, while they're actually a vulnerable species in their native land of North Africa. So, there's only between 5,000 and 10,000 individuals out there, and they're actually considered vulnerable. So, um, that, that was interesting to me. And what was really interesting to me was learning about the idea of texotics, which Texas Parks and Wildlife wrote about in a magazine, which is essentially the idea um, of non-native hoof species that have come to Texas and totally thrived um, while they can't even struggle. You know, they're struggling to survive in their own native lands abroad. That was really interesting. And this whole thing has really kind of prompted an exotic meat industry, which I thought was really interesting. I still was trying to get a good sense. Of, I think you, in your story, you mentioned population growth was uh, perhaps even going to, uh, I guess, an, an incursion of 
our uh, neighborhoods and, and cities into the, right. um, the, the rural areas, and that's perhaps why more people are seeing them? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, if you think about it, they only um, they, they released 31 in 1957. So think about how many we have now. Um, they have definitely expanded, but so has our human population, right? So now our borders between wildlife and humans are shrinking because of development, population growth, whatever. Um, and yeah, now they're making their way over to cities as with other wildlife animals, right? Um, you know, now we're seeing more coyotes, foxes, whatever. Just a common theme among Texas, right? You mentioned the like exotic meat industry. Is that is that one that people are uh, are utilizing? I've not seen rendered. Uh, I would add sheep meat. Yeah, in, so in, in Market have, Street or H E B. Yeah, I mean they have a ranch out in Terlingua that hosts these hunts, like four day hunts, and they're like five to seven thousand dollars for these people to do, and they're already booked out through early twenty twenty four. And like Aldad, because they're invasive, they actually don't have a set season. You can go hunt them all year long. So the fact that they're booked out that far in advance, like, really shows how essential this um, industry is to some people. Understood. Definitely interesting. Okay. So I'm going to move on. I actually did have one email on that and someone said they found one out at sheep in central Texas. And that's, that's all the email was. So I did see though, that they did have um, one in Uvalde County um, a couple of years ago that had disease and they were worried about it spreading to other local animals. Yeah. I wonder if they're susceptible to the same diseases that you see with some of the deer that we get alerts from Texas Parks and Wildlife on it. I don't know if you've seen much of that or if they're immune to that and they have their own unique issues. Yeah, I think it's um, like specific within sheep and goats. You know, how like avian flu is specific to birds. Um, okay, so I'm gonna move forward to Will Rogers and Soap Suds. So we're both tech grads, your wife works at tech. So we know a lot about Will Rogers and Soap Suds. Um, you know, the saddle tramps go and wrap him every home football game in red. Um, and so I actually read that. Let, let's go back with the history of Will Rogers and Soap Suds. So this was a gift by Eamon G. Carter, who, if you did not know, is like one of Texas Tech's founders. Um, that was really interesting for me to learn because I'm a Fort Worth native and you see his name all over Fort Worth, all over TCU. And when someone told me that he founded Texas Tech or was one of the founders, I was I was shocked. I was like, honestly shocked. Like even to learn that the place that Will Rogers statue sits on is called Amon G. Carter Plaza. I did not know that. The entire front entrance of university, you know, the university where the seal is, is called Amon G. Carter Plaza, which I never knew. That was wild to me. So no, it's not commonly referred to that. I don't think a lot no, of students say, hey, let's meet up at the Amon G. Carter Plaza before no. we walk into the chimneys. Exactly. That's wild to me. Like, you know, we know the name of Memorial Circle. We know the names of, you know, all the little parks within the area, but we did not know the name of that plaza. I wonder if it's like our beef with TCU. I don't, I don't know, but it was interesting to me. So actually, the then editor of the AJ presented the casting of the statue to Lubbock, which I did not know. That was really interesting to find. Um, why was there a Will Rogers statue here? Okay, so in what I in my research, I learned that like Will Rogers has literally no associations with Texas Tech whatsoever. 
Amon G. Carter just believed that the statue would fit into the traditions and scenery of West, West Texas, memorializing Roger's lifetime as a cowboy legend. And um, I couldn't think of a better school in Texas to put a Will Rogers statue if we want to talk about cowboy legends, right? Um, well, I mean, I mean, at the time, he was a cultural icon across the yeah, country. Absolutely. I think every community is uh, yeah. familiar with him, just a national celebrity. But. Yeah, so our, our Mr. Cowboy Culture, Alvin Davis, who... Um, died not too long ago he actually really got into the cowboy way of life because he saw will rogers just a couple months before he died and that's when he decided he wanted to be a cowboy um so he has a lot of influence on west texas for sure so the thing about the sculpture it was initially positioned to face northwest so it appeared that will rogers and soap suds were running into the sunset right um it was even called going into the sunset or something like that that's the title of it um but Lubbock decided that the hind end facing east toward downtown Lubbock might insult the local business economy. So they changed the degree by 23 angles. And now there's this theory that um, it faces intentionally towards A&M. We have intentionally placed the hind end towards A&M because we love to hate A&M. Uh, but yeah, I've kind of heard mixed stories on whether it actually points in that direction or not. I've not gone over there and like uh, check the trajectory myself, but it's certainly a nice story. It one that a, we embraced back when A&M was still in the Big 12. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, so the AJ actually did put those rumors to rest a decade ago and interviewed Chris Sneed, who was um, the vice president of the Alumni Association, and he refuted that there was any truth behind the story. He basically said, like, if we're going to be technical, it's either Waco or Austin that it's facing, which either way, a Big 12 school, you know, so... Um, that's interesting. Well, it's a fairly large behind. I mean, it, it kind of depends on exactly what part of the behind. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, yeah. Part of it, surely it's got enough trajectory that some of it's going to hit, uh, uh, you know, College Station Bryan. But yeah, I don't know. Some of it, the whole, yeah, that whole side of Texas. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's all West Texas, so it just hits more West Texas, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, but the, the most interesting thing I learned about the Will Rogers stuff was that the saddle tramp started covering it during home football games to protect it because it was actually painted in maroon after either, I can't remember if A&M won or Tech won. I think Tech won, Tech beat A&M, and it was painted in maroon. And so they decided at midnight before every home football game, they would go wrap it in red crepe paper because they wanted to protect the statue. So I thought that was an interesting. I, I had never heard why that happened. So I thought that was really interesting. Well, that was one theory. Another theory was that it just started when people went to went to paint the campus red, and they just hung up red streamers and crepe paper all over campus. Um, yeah, even my whole time there as a student, and up, you know, you know, living here in the community, I haven't, I hadn't seen them wrap the uh, statue until this last fall. Uh, I guess it had a homecoming. So yeah. it's actually just a really nice experience to go out there and, and watch it. And yeah, yeah it's music cool. and some kind of a food truck atmosphere out there now when they're doing that. So it's a bit oh, of a okay, that's cool. I did not know that. Yeah, I, I went once um, when, during my undergrad, but either way, it was really interesting to kind of learn where that tradition came from. Um, okay, so Cadillac Ranch. Let's talk about Cadillac Ranch. So you actually knew about the history of Cadillac Ranch, right? I, I actually didn't really know about it. Um, I mean, I knew it was kind of uh, the, the Stanley Marsh III and his uh, connection to it. A little bit uh, of controversial thing. Yeah, that, uh, that, I don't think that defines it, but I think that... No, absolutely uh, not. 
hints it a little bit, but uh, I mean, I just know it's been a, a long time kitschy uh, attraction, uh, yeah. interactive art for uh, folks in the panhandle. I've never swung by it myself. It's still on my to-do list I mean, when I go up there. Yeah. So it's actually, uh, you know, the Ant Farm Collective, you saw that. They brought that in, was it the 70s? It's, it's going to hit its 50th anniversary within next year, I believe. Um, so yeah, I, I guess the 70s, they decided to do it. Stanley Marsh commissioned them, um, but it was these artists who decided to put it together. 10 Cadillac model, you know, vintage Cadillac models lined up um, with their nose seemingly buried into the ground, right? And they're at an angle uh, that's supposed to match the Pyramid of Giza in Egypt, which I thought was really interesting. Um, of course. I mean, I... It, it, the story behind it isn't super interesting, but it's really interesting to see how much play this art, just this like random piece of art, this random exhibition has gotten in popular culture. Like Bruce Springsteen had a song, James Brown did a music video or had lyrics to it. Um, it's the, sort of Texas travel guide. You're either going to see that or you're going to see a scene of uh, Paladero Canyon uh, to represent the panhandle typically. Yeah, yeah, you know, like like I had written that cars had like a little fake cars thing in it. It was um in the mountains, right? Because it's cars and that's like the actual like big design that they have big installation that they have at the cars exhibit in Disney World, right? So that's really interesting. Um it's just been in so many popular culture references, the dozens, maybe hundreds, I don't know, but I know for sure dozens. So it's just interesting to see how far that has grown. And it's really interesting to see how people, you know, at the end of it, I put that, the end of this column, I said something along the lines of, this wasn't just one person's art, like this is now a canvas for everybody, right? This is an opportunity for everyone to showcase their creativity or send a message, including the guy who, decided to set it ablaze one night, right? It's it's become the face of social justice activism in recent years, painted in pride colors, painted in Black Lives Matter. So it's really interesting. People from all over the world have come to this small exhibit, really small in the grand scheme of things, in literally the middle of nowhere. I would it's fair to say Amarillo is pretty much in the middle of nowhere when you think of Not the entire like that. <laughs> Yeah, but if you're coming from another country or if you're coming from New York or Florida or California, I think it's safe to say that Amarillo, like, is not a spot you would typically go see, you know, like, on its own. Like, there are a lot of people who go there. It, it gets, yeah, it gets a lot of road, road, 66 traffic. Yeah, so it's interesting. It's, it's really weird um, just to see how much it has grown, like. And then it has that like, little slug bug um, ranch 35 miles west that that inspired. So it's just it's really cool to see how it's just um, made its impact on the U.S., right? One of the most photographed roadside attractions in the nation. Yeah, it's up there with like Wall Drug up in South Dakota, which you perhaps have not seen, and just uh, other kitschy roadside attractions. The largest ball of yarn, mm -hmm. you know, largest hand dug well. And then you've got the Cadillac Ranch, which is a little bit more visual than I think than some of the others. Yeah, a little bit more popular than the world's largest jackrabbit here in Rawls, Texas. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so Cadillac Ranch. Now let's go into the tortilla toss. I have some emails to read with this one. So oh, um, my. <laughs> oh boy. So we talked about this. The tortilla toss, you know, there's there's two stories that 
just around this. One, the first one is that um, tech fans had originally tossed lids to their 44-ounce drinks, and next game, the lids were banned, right? So they decided to just grab tortillas because tortillas are also a popular tailgating food, um, and they're easy to throw, right? Um, but there's another one that says that an ESPN announcer before our Texas A&M game, of course, Texas A&M, we got, we got to spy A&M whenever we can, apparently. Um, they they rile up the crowd. Yes. <laughs> you know, so so the, this ESPN announcer said that there's nothing in Lubbock but Texas Tech football in a tortilla factory. So then they showed up to the game and they threw tortillas at kickoff. Now, I don't know which one is right. Um, both are amusing theories, um, but it, it's wild because there was actually a tortilla penalty, right, where Texas Tech would lose 15 yards if there were tortillas thrown on the game, you know, on the field. Um, but it, it never stopped fans because Tech fans are rowdy and they really don't care. Um, you know, how many times have we got fined for storming the field or court this year, right? So it didn't stop anybody. Um but it was really inter- it's it's just a really interesting thing. Like people have even learned that if you cut out the holes and the you know holes in them, that they're going to go further. And they've come up with some really creative ways to sneak them in, um, which I think is interesting. I remember one OU football player had eaten one and did it on video, and like he went viral on Twitter and was like, "You don't want to want to know how that got here, right? Like <laughs> you wouldn't be doing that if you knew." Yeah, it's certainly a less destructive, uh, I guess, fan habit than what the student section would do in disassembling the bleachers and passing those down. Yeah, or the or field post or whatever. Yeah, or throwing batteries. So, uh, yeah, I know that I say it's you know seemingly harmless. I know there were uh, quite a few emails and comment posts that we got on that story um, yeah. about the uh, potentially uh, racially insensitive. Uh, origin of yeah. the uh, of that tradition, right. um, and I know uh, that uh, former Avalanche Journal publisher Steve Beasley had even shared that email with you. His his theory or his understanding of how it originated with uh, uh, former tech, uh, defensive player Gabriel Rivera, and it kind of uh, being somewhat in, in honor of him. That's perhaps makes me a little uncomfortable with it. It stems from that. It was really never a. Uh, uh, a tradition that I embraced when I was a student there, but I was, I was uh, amused when I saw it happen. Yeah. So I think that maybe some stories got crossed because a similar, I'm not going to argue whether again, whether it was racist or not, but I think some stories got crossed because a similar incident happened in California a couple years ago. And it was at a high school basketball game and the entirety of the other team that they threw tortillas at was Latino. So this high school basketball team got banned uh, for the remainder of the season. They lost the game. That coach got fired and they're still not playing basketball. This happened in 2021. They cannot return to games until 2024. So I think that's might be where some um, stories got crossed there. And I know that, uh, I think, uh, another university in California does it during track meets. I, I think that might be where stories got crossed, but I'm not the one to dictate, you know, um, what's racist and what's not. So we'll, we'll stem away from that, but I do want to read some emails. So I've shared a couple with you. Um, this chief financial officer at a local diocese actually reached out to me via Twitter and said that, 
He believes that there might be a connection between the Romans, which threw flatbread at gladiator games. So I think that was a really interesting theory. I'd never heard anyone like go that far back in the association. Do I think that tech fans uh, are well aware of that history? Probably not. Uh, <laughs> I think tech fans are just rowdy and probably like to throw things. Yeah, perhaps some students majoring in the classics would, would be familiar Religion. with that story, but I don't know if that's what inspired them to, to go ahead and do that. that. That one seems like a stretch. Moving forward, I thought this one was really funny. It was really simple. Jim B said, tortillas float, beans don't. End of story. Um, this one was interesting. An archivist at Texas Tech did confirm that it was probably started from the tortillas factory comet. But she continued to say that um, Bob Bockrath, who was actually the athletic director at the time, was the one who pushed for the ban because uh, apparently he thought it was unseemly for the tech students to be throwing food. That's her words, not mine. I thought that was interesting. David B. said, I graduated from tech in May 1989, and my memory was the previous fall at one of the home games. The local grocery store, United, handed out sampler packs of two or three of their fresh-made tortillas as a promotion upon entry to the game. Previous to this game, there had been several students who began throwing yellow flags in the air when a penalty was called on the field. Now armed with tortillas, they began throwing them out, and it just continued game after game after that. Now let's head into some of the more interesting ones. JJH said he grew up in Lubbock and lived there from 90, or no, sorry, 76 to 93. His father was actually the dean of Mass Comm, and he was a ball boy for the Red Raiders for multiple sports, but mainly basketball in the early 80s. He said he remembers the day because it was his mom's birthday, November 9th, no, no, November 19th, 1988. It was Thanksgiving time and it snowed that week. Tech was mediocre, his words, not mine. But Houston was stacked and the quarterback was Andre Ware, a Heisman candidate. The attendance was low, but there was a lot of snow in the stadium. On the way into the game, there was a vendor handing out free batteries of all things. During the first half, people put batteries in the snowballs and started throwing them onto the field. The game was stopped more than once, and the second time, Coach Dykes, Spike, actually spoke over the PA system and asked spectators to stop throwing things onto the field. It helped a little, but Houston completed a comeback and beat Tech by one point in the fourth quarter, which prompted another slew of battery-filled snowballs. After the game, after the game Coach Dykes said, People throw stuff all the time, but batteries and snowballs, they ought to throw something soft like a tortilla. I'm not sure if it was in the newspaper or anywhere in print, he said, but the year ended, and in the fall of 1989, his freshman year at Tech, there were a few tortillas thrown at each game until it became it is what it is today. I can tell you I've heard many stories about the tortillas, he said, but this is definitely the way it happened. That was interesting. Um, And this one's also really interesting. Carl S. says, I'm still amazed the conversation does not connect to what I remember as a longtime tech fan. In the early 90s, there was not as many bowl games and few corporate sponsors. The games were also aligned with conferences. The Big A champ, typically Oklahoma or Nebraska, had a tradition of tossing oranges onto the field when they won the honor to go to the Orange Bowl. Tech had not been to a bowl in a while, and Spike Dykes had us getting close to a bowl bid, which stirred talk of tech making it to the Cotton Bowl. Though I cannot verify or remember the exact comment, my recollection is a sports writer or possibly a sports talk radio personality from the Metroplex, notorious for throwing shade at Tech, said something to the effect that the only bowl game Tech could make was a tortilla bowl. Following those comments, some students started tossing tortillas. Some of us understood why, and they flew great. The closer we got to a winning record, the more tortillas were tossed. Have you seen the toss at the beginning of the 95 Cotton Bowl? I was there. Great beginnings to a really bad outing that even included the USC Trojan Band's trombone section brawling with Raider Red. I digress. 
I wish we could get rid of the cup lid toss idea. I can see that some folks remember tossing lid because it's fun to toss things at games when you know you are not going to hurt folks. The only connection would be the fun, not the meaning of the tortilla. If I have to accept a narrative that's published, I'll go with a tortilla factory, but we'll always know in my mind. It connects to oranges, a bolded, and our tech in West Texas mentality. It showed again this year with the cactus. Go ahead and talk us down. We'll make a tradition of it. Um, I actually, so I, I like that he pointed out that it's fun to toss things at games when you know you're not going to hurt folks, because I actually had someone uh, say that they believed or a friend told them that they had um, thrown out beer soaked tortillas, which was not pleasant. I cannot vouch for that. Um, can't, I won't say that that's true or untrue. Uh, I, I, I know it was in recent years that tech actually did begin selling alcohol. Gary Ann says he thinks he knows the real answer, but he doesn't think I'll be able to print it because it reflects badly on UT or A&M. I don't care if it reflects poorly on them. It's fine. Um, so he says, probably during a time Texas and A&M had a hard time beating Tech. They were pretty snake bit against Tech, he said. One of the t- typical double jabs at Tech by the students made fun of a Tech degree versus an A&M degree. A&M told the joke that Tech graduated more Taco Bell managers than any other college. So the next Tech home game, A&M and Texas player were greeted with a flying taco barrage. It'll probably never end, he said. The arrogance is hard, to, is hard to tolerate with that one, but it is what it is. It is what it is, and to that I say, let the tortillas fly. Do you have a different tale to tell about any of our topics? Don't hesitate to tell us. You can reach out to the Lubbock Avalanche Journal or Amarillo Globe News on Facebook or Twitter. You can also send an email to bAddison at lubbockonline.com with the subject line Weird West Texas or shoot us a text at 806-496-4073.